The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five on a Friday. A bad week with a strong end. Maybe Wall Street trying to stage a comeback rally after a sell-off all week. Futures, they are higher. Our patience is wearing thin. President Biden's plan to force companies to have their workers vaccinated or else they could be laid off. This is COVID cases rise, but unemployment benefits run off. It's not just COVID. Call it direct diplomacy. As President Biden holding his first one-on-one phone call with China Xi Jinping since February. Details of that call ahead. Inflation getting fired up. What is behind natural gas's big surge and why it matters to you? And two Fed heads say they are selling their stocks after outrage grows about a member of the Fed who is actively trading. It is Friday, September 10th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. And happy Friday, by the way. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right to it. A lot to get to on this Friday, and let's begin with the markets and your money. And they are looking to end a week, week strong. Stock futures right now are up nicely. Dow futures up 200. NASDAQ futures up 53. All this as the Dow and the S&P logged their fourth losing session in a row on Thursday. That's the first time that's happened since June. Now for the Dow, names like 3M, Amgen, Merck, J&J, the biggest laggards, all down more than 4% this week. A rough week for the transportation stocks as well. Also coming off four down days in a row among the big laggards this week. Kansas City Southern, J.B. Hunt, by the way, on pace for their worst week since June. Union Pacific, Landstar, CSX, all on pace for their longest weekly losing streaks since March of 2020. We mentioned that because the transports, maybe more than any other group, are seen by many, not everyone, but many, as leading indicators of what might happen. So watch the transports. All right, back to the market. Send your money in just a moment. But right now, some big news in geopolitics. President Biden holding his first one-on-one phone call since February with China's President Xi Jinping. This as relations between the U.S. and Chinese governments remain strained. So what was discussed? Let's find out what we know. Eunice Xiong is live in Beijing with more. Good morning, Eunice. Good morning, Brian. Well, the good news is that the two sides agreed that the talks were candid and that neither side wants to see a competition escalate into a conflict. The bad news, though, is that nothing much else was agreed upon. But um, from the Chinese side, uh, they have been emphasizing that President Xi Jinping has been repeating uh, Beijing's very long-held stance that serious difficulties, in his words, in the relationship are due solely to the U.S.'s China policy. So the U.S. is solely to blame and that future cooperation needs to be based on what China has described as the respect of core concerns. So from a Chinese perspective, that means that the U.S. doesn't have any to 
discussions on internal affairs of Beijing, the way Beijing sees it. So Hong Kong, Taiwan, as well as uh, Xinjiang in the far west. A Chinese state media have been stressing that uh, President Biden acknowledged the need for greater contact and dialogue. And uh, from the U.S. side, though, a little bit of a different picture. Uh, U.S. officials have been noncommittal about future dialogue. Um, the uh, one big criticism of uh, China has been that they are using uh, dialogue as a delaying tactic on taking further action. In fact, U.S. officials said one of the reasons why President Biden wanted to initiate this call, which was 90 minutes, is, is because he felt that the d- talks at the lower level, Brian, weren't really making enough progress. And given the changes here and the centralization of power of President Xi that he thought a personal touch with engagement at the very highest level uh, might be what is needed in order to break the stalemate. Yeah, it's, it sounds like not necessarily a lot was discussed. And of course, there's a lot of things that we, we don't know. Uh, you, you talked about things maybe not being as nice as they were. Was it the economy? Was it global trade? Is there any Uh, more macro idea of what topics, I mean, shipping container shortages, COVID, what did they talk about? Well, they said that it was a broad discussion um, about the entire, like everything that, that you just mentioned. So, so everything from like climate change, the pandemic, as well as economic issues. But I think maybe what the U.S. was, would like to see from China uh, would be if the Chinese would separate certain issues so that they can move forward, the two sides could move forward on, say, climate change, for example, or on Afghanistan. But given some of the, the comments uh, from other uh, senior leaders, in China, it doesn't look as though that is going to change at all. In fact, just in the past couple of weeks, uh, senior leaders uh, from China have said that uh, that they don't really see a way in which the U.S. and China can cooperate, given the overall very uh, stressed environment. So, you know, the U.S. wants to see some cooperation on Afghanistan or cooperation on climate change. Well, from China's perspective, they're saying, yeah, if you want that, Uh, You kind of have to um, make some moves as to um, acknowledging that we have these red lines and that you also agree to China's red lines. Yeah, I mean, you talk about climate change. We we talk about it a lot here, Eunice. So many of the world's most polluted cities are in China or in India. So that that area, your area over there, the government has got certainly some work to do. But at least they're talking. Eunice Yun in Beijing, thank you. The good news is they're talking. Well, let's turn now back to the U.S. markets and their money after the Dow and the S&P posted their fourth straight day of losses as well. Joining us now is Jill Carey Hall. She is head of U.S. SMID, small and mid-cap strategy at Bank of America. Jill, it's a pleasure to have you on Worldwide Exchange. I noticed that your S&P 500 target is below where we are right now, at least for this year, not for next year, but for, for 2021. Why is that? And Obviously, what do you expect then the rest of the year? That's right. You know, we're we're still bullish on on the economy, economic growth, and you know, think this could be a good period for for the U.S. overall. But for the market, we've we've seen you know last year a lot of the gains were led by by multiple expansion, the the S and P five hundred PE ratio expanding. Now the earnings are coming through, and it's been a very strong first half for earnings, exceeding expectations in a big way. But you know, equity sentiment has grown very euphoric, but based on the measure 
indicators that we track. Um, valuations, as mentioned, are very elevated. And, you know, I think there's there's risks from here. Corporate margins have, have held up very well, despite a lot of the mentions of inflation so far. But those inflation mentions, especially labor and supply chain, have started to, to skyrocket on earnings calls. And that could be a headwind in, in the second half. And, you know, the if, if the Fed starts to taper later this year, the, the fact that a lot of the, the Fed liquidity-induced market gains that we've seen um, post-crisis, that, that could slow. So the, the fact that the Fed could be tapering and, and based on the Fed balance sheet, we, we've calculated that this could suggest pretty limited upside to the S&P 500 um, through the end of next year. So downside risk in, in 2021, next year, we think there, there could be some recovery, but we're still looking for pretty modest gains to the market and you know see, see better areas within equities right now than just buying the S&P 500 overall. And are those better opportunities in the, I would imagine, in the small and mid-cap space, which are more tied to the U.S. economy, less tied to ETFs? And if so, where in particular, Jill, do you see more opportunity? That's right. You know, the, the S&P 500 large cap index has grown very concentrated, obviously, in a lot of the, you know, mega cap growth stocks and, you know, aren't as sensitive to, to the overall backdrop of, of a strong U.S. economy. So we if if as provided we don't see a, a further you know surge in, in COVID cases and a weakening macroeconomic backdrop, we would expect that, that small caps could could do well. Um, you know, they, they did very well earlier this year. We, we saw a bit of a pause. And, and pullback. And, and, you know, we started to see some outperformance again, uh, starting in mid-August. So the, the size segment is very tethered to uh, CapEx spending. Typically, if you see, you know, CapEx infrastructure, even the, the U.S. reshoring story, CapEx um, uh, small caps tend to, to fare better than larger stocks in this backdrop. And, the, you know, they're more tethered to services spending. The, the mm. other thing is that they're still, uh, based on where valuations are, relatively inexpensive versus large caps. And so valuation doesn't tend to tell you much about what happens in the short term. But but over the long term, um, valuations for small caps would suggest we could still see gains if you're a long-term investor with a 10-year time horizon. Whereas for large caps, our valuation framework is pointing out that you could see slightly negative annualized returns over the next 10 years. Um, and that's the first time wow. our, our models have been saying that since 1999. It's the first time I've heard that. I mean, uh, big investors and big stocks don't want to hear that, but at least you're saying there's opportunities in a smaller way. Jill, is it just buy smaller mid-cap ETFs and let it roll, or are there groups of stocks within smaller mid-cap that you think will outperform even that group as a whole? Mm -hmm. I think within within small caps, a lot of the more cyclical areas still haven't been been necessarily pricing in the the recovery that we've seen. So so some of the more economically sensitive sectors within small caps have tended to to look attractive in our work. Um, And I would say even even beyond small caps within the the large cap equity market, we do still see some opportunities. So within the S&P 500, we would stick with inflation protected yield. So given the low rate backdrop that we're still in, but the fact that that inflation has been rising, we think you want to look for stocks that have, you know, offer healthy yields, but but growing dividends and in sectors that can benefit or, or not be hurt by inflation. Um, so so areas like energy and, and materials, financials has seen very, very healthy cash return and, and has been growing dividends, even parts of um, real estate. So we think there are opportunities within the market, but, um, you know, certainly more selective pockets at this time. 
Uh, pretty eye-opening stuff there, at least on the S&P 500 as well. And we're watching small and mid-caps. Jill Carey Hall, we appreciate you kicking off the show on this Friday. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. All right, when we come back here on this busy Friday, your morning's big money movers, including that skyrocketing stock, the mystery chart name revealed coming up. Plus, much more on President Biden laying out a new strategy to try to fight COVID. A live report from Washington ahead. And if one wasn't enough, get ready for a second batch of this week's biggest insider buys. As one CEO betting big on his own company to the tune of a $1 million buy. That video is a little bit of a hint. Yeah, nice boy. That's a good dog. We're back. Dow Futures up 200 right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, time now for your big money movers on this Friday morning. First up is actually a group of stocks, Uber, DoorDash, and Just Eat Takeaway, the parent of Grubhub. The food delivery companies are suing New York City over a new ordinance that permanently caps the amount they can charge restaurants to use their platforms. New York City imposed those temporary limits on those commissions during the pandemic. DoorDash and Grubhub both control about a third of sales in New York City, and Uber Eats and Postmates also a joint 30%. All right, stock number two is Affirm. The company's second quarter sales beating forecasts helped by growth in volumes of goods sold through its buy now, pay later services. Affirm shares have more than doubled this year. And finally, Toyota. It is cutting its annual production target by 300,000 vehicles, partly because of a slowdown in output from parts suppliers in Vietnam and Malaysia due to COVID, which is then adding on to issues caused by the global semiconductor shortage. Toyota will reduce production by another 70,000 this month and 330,000 in October. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Some first responders that we hailed as heroes rightfully after September 11th are still dealing with chronic health problems 20 years later. We're going to take a closer look at the ongoing fight of these true heroes when Worldwide Exchange returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. I was completely uh, disoriented. It then started to clear, and I walked down to to uh, uh, to the river. Uh, it took me some time, but I got down there in time to see the south tower had disappeared, and uh, the north tower then did the same thing. It rumbled and it blew up and disappeared. Uh, it was you know, something you don't forget. Something you don't forget. All right, welcome back. Well, asthma cancer, post-traumatic stress syndrome, problems that many of the first responders of 9-11 are dealing with 20 years later. In fact, here's a very troubling stat. More emergency workers have lost their lives from illnesses related to 9-11 than from the attacks themselves. Lon Moy spoke with one former New York Police Department sergeant about his own trauma. At that time, I wasn't thinking about protective equipment. My mind was, we were invaded, we were in act of war. So my concern about my health was uh, way down on the list of uh, concerns. On the day of the attacks, former NYPD Sergeant Tom Wilson helped stun survivors covered in dust cross the Williamsburg Bridge. Afterward, he spent months working on the pile. That's when he started getting severe conjunctivitis, and he was coughing a lot. I never smoked a cigarette in my life, and now I'm coughing up phlegm. 10, 15, 20 times a day, I would get constant pneumonia. So uh, that's when I got really concerned. And then, of course, in 2008, with uh, my tongue cancer diagnosis, that, that just knocked me on my ass. At the hospital, my, I had a uh, very young daughter, newborn, and uh, she had to uh, breastfeed up there in the waiting room while I was uh, in the hospital. I had a tracheotomy. I had to be fed through a... Uh, a slushy liquid through my nose, through a tube, so it was pretty devastating. I have five kids. Roughly 1,800 names are etched into the 60-foot granite wall at the 9-11 Responders Remembered Memorial Park in Long Island. It's dedicated to those who died of illness after the terrorist attacks. Wilson knows many of the names. He retired and then he died of uh, blood cancer two weeks later. But what pains him the most is not the sacrifice they made or his own ailments, it's his memory of the pile. So I often think back, and it haunts me of what I, I probably missed. And now it is remains there at a landfill. That, that's the final resting place of the, these heroic people that just went to work that day, ordinary people, or the, the heroic uh, first responders who responded. And uh, they've never been recovered. Talking can be physically difficult for Wilson, but it's also therapeutic, and he's hoping that his story will help other people suffering from 9-11 health problems to know that they are not alone and that there's someone to reach out to. Brian. Okay, so, I mean, uh, yeah, first off, every one of these women and men need the help. I mean, they have for 20 years. The ones that are getting help, where are they finding it? Is it... The, where are the best places for anyone out there 
still struggling to go. Yeah, so Wilson is part of a group called the Feel Good Foundation. They're the organization that helped get that 2010 law passed that ensures that the first responders are covered uh, by the Victims' Compensation Fund for their health problems. They've also worked with John Stewart. They were that group um, that ensured the fund doesn't run out of money until 2090. So most importantly, though, what they do is connect people who are going through this and so that they can share their stories, share their struggles and find support from one another. Well, on Moy, this is such an important story as we approach the 20th anniversary of that day. And that is, of course, tomorrow. Appreciate your reporting on it. Certainly a lot of people out there that still need help. And what's amazing is there are kids now that are that are 20 years old, 23 years old, that, that never knew their mom or their dad. Uh, it's just it still resonates so long. Elon, thank you. All right, outside of that, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines, including some potentially good news amid the chaos in Afghanistan. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York now with that and more. Francis, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning to you. We start, though, first with the Justice Department suing the state of Texas, challenging the state's restrictive new law that bans abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. The attorney general going as far to say it's unconstitutional. The DOJ says the law denies women the right to seek an abortion, deprives the federal government of the power to enforce that right, and blocks delivery of federal health care. The Taliban says it will allow international flights to resume at Kabul airport, and we've seen evidence of this. For the first time since the U.S. military withdrawal, a plane carrying Americans left Kabul. The Biden administration says it's proof it would be able to secure cooperation of the Taliban and get Americans out of Afghanistan without any U.S. troops on the ground. For the first time, a major tennis final will be played between two unseated players. 18-year-old Emma Raducanu still hasn't dropped the set en route to the U.S. Open final. That's where she will meet 19-year-old Leila Fernandez, fresh off her fourth straight win over a ranked opponent. And finally, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers scored their first in the NFL season opener there with Chris Godwin catching the first quarter touchdown. Dallas's defense kept them in the game and a late fumble recovery led to the Cowboys taking the lead with another two minutes left. But that was enough time for Tom Brady to drive down the field and Ryan Suckoff's boot gave the defending champs the 31-29 win. It was close, though, considering the Cowboys and you got, you know, the Super Bowl champs right there. But, you know, for us early rise, it's going to be tough with those late nights now that the NFL and football is back, Brian. The packed house and, and the, the seat, the ticket cost there, Francis, on the, you know, StubHub were 300 bucks and up for the worst mm-hmm. up there. seats. <laughs> I, think, I think it's safe to say Tom Brady is paying off for, ta- for Tampa Bay. Francis, thank you. Sure thing. All right. Have a great weekend. All right, on deck, Facebook and the Small Business Roundtable, they are out with their latest global state of small business numbers. Here what more than 35,000 business leaders across 30 countries have to say the state of the recovery, return to work, and more. It is a worldwide exchange exclusive. It is coming up. All those futures are up nicely. Dow futures up 185. And we are back right after this. President Biden saying, get the shot or else, saying companies will have to force millions of workers to be vaccinated or risk losing their jobs. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. 
forget oil, lumber, or even crypto. Why natural gas is the latest hot commodity, closing in on levels not seen in more than a decade. Plus, caving the pressure. As two Fed heads say, they're going to sell their stocks after outrage over one Federal Reserve official who is actively trading his account. It is Friday, September 10th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan. Appreciate you being with us. Here's how your money and investments look as we are about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour right now, and they are looking good. Stock futures kind of bucking the trend of pretty much every day in this holiday shortened week, and they're up. Dow futures up 175. NASDAQ futures up about three-tenths of 1%. So a lot of green on the screen right now. And it's kind of a similar global story around the world. All the major Asian markets, they're up. In fact, Japan remains pretty much the hottest stock market in the world, rising another one and a quarter percent. Japan just crushing it in the last 30 days or so. And the European markets also, all major averages there, they are in the green. All right, so the markets look good, and hopefully this is good as well. A second weekly insider buying rundown. Now, remember, we did one on Wednesday, but that was from last week's data because I was off on Friday. So right now, let us run through the top five insider buys of this week. And a reminder, this is an exclusive right here to Worldwide Exchange. As always, the data courtesy with our thanks of InsiderScore.com. All right, here we go. Stock number five, Terminix, TMX, the CEO buying about 250000 worth. His first buy as CEO as the stock has dropped. Number four, Texas Capital Bank shares, the CEO buying 500000 worth. Also note, the chief risk officer bought another 249000 so two insider buys at TCBI. Transdime is number three, the CFO buying just over 500000 worth as the stock fell, partly on the news of its buyout of rival Megat PLC. Stock number two is Veritex Holdings, VBTX, a director buying 537000 worth, adding to an earlier buy for her earlier this year, despite the name, it's a bank in Texas. And the second mo- or the most insider buying of the week is Petco Health and Wellness. The ticker is Wolf. What else? The CEO and chairman, Ron Coughlin, buying just over $1 million worth, which adds to an already large exposure to the stock and buying just above the IPO price. So there you go. Terminix, Texas Capital Bank shares, Transdime, Veritex, and Petco. Ironic that... Two of our top five insider buys this week are both Texas-based banks. Maybe what do they know about what's going to happen with the economy? We're going to find out. All right, outside of that, President Biden announcing sweeping new vaccine mandates affecting millions of government workers and contractors. Just one prong of his multifaceted approach at fighting the latest COVID-19 surge. NBC's Tracy Potts joining us. From D.C., good morning, Tracy. 
Hi, Brian. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So it's the mandates in this plan. That's what's really causing the stir and threats of lawsuits already. The president legally can't do a national vaccine mandate, but these changes will affect millions of people, especially working Americans. President Biden running out of patience with 80 million unvaccinated Americans. Our patience is wearing thin and your refusal has cost all of us. So please do the right thing. His six point plan includes mandatory vaccines for federal workers and contractors, vaccines or weekly testing for companies with more than 100 workers, doubling TSA fines for travelers who don't mask and low cost at home tests available this week. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you. Employees who don't comply could face fines or be fired. Anything that we can put in place that's going to make people feel more secure to come and visit my store is is the best thing for my store. The government's also urging states to vaccinate teachers and do more testing in schools. Outbreaks have closed 1,400 schools in 35 states. Our students have suffered enough. They need to be in the classroom. The White House is anticipating lawsuits. The Republican National Committee announced last night they'll be first in line. Deaths from COVID are up five times over last month. The FDA has yet to approve a third booster shot. They don't have all the information yet that they need. It's affecting every age group, um, race, everything. As the COVID pandemic overwhelms America's hospitals, the government is putting new pressure on millions who choose not to get the shot. The plan also includes more help for small businesses, Brian. NBC's Tracy Potts. Tracy, thank you for everything. All right, back down to the markets and natural gas prices pulling back slightly today after rising more than 2% yesterday to close about five bucks for the first time since February of 2014. Right now, it seems like nothing can stop runaway prices, which have nearly doubled this year as relatively low production rates have been unable to keep up with strong demand here in the U.S. and around the world, as well as pipeline shipments to Mexico. Let's talk more about it and get some insight with Emily McLean, North America Gas Markets Analyst at Rystead Energy. Emily, thanks for joining us now. It's been a heck of a story and massively inflationary because natural gas is used in, in pretty much everything. If you had to pinpoint one or two reasons for this big surge in prices, what would they be? Uh, yeah, it's it's tough to pinpoint that to just one or two reasons. Um, I would say, though, you kind of have to take into, into account really the market fundamentals here. So we have a very tight market, um, and it's largely driven by the uh, limited supply that we're seeing, not only domestic supply, but globally. Um, and that's really what's driving the prices up, given the fact that we have increased demand and a real supply crunch globally. Um, we, we also anticipate, you know, going forward, uh, our expectations for winter are really, you know, questionable. So if we see a mild winter, uh, we could potentially see some, re- some relief in pricing. Um, but there really isn't, you know, that is really the big question here. Yeah, it certainly is, Emily. And, you know, you look at the weather around America, besides storms, we've seen excess heat, natural gas, about 40 percent of the, the fuel source for all power plant generation. How much is the weather contributing? 
Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I think this year specifically, um, we're really looking to the weather forecasts uh, much more so than in previous years, um, largely because of the tight market that we're seeing. Um, Rice at Energy actually forecasts next year will it be an even tighter market, and that's largely due to the storage inventory levels um, that are that we're seeing going into the uh, winter season. Uh, right now, the EIA has reported that we're looking at about, at about 2.9 TCF in terms of current storage inventory levels. Those levels will be at around 3.4, 3.5 TCF in October, and then by the end of the year, by December year end, we're looking at about um, 2.7 to 2.8 TCF going into 2022. So we're already going to be near um, five-year minimum or below the five-year average in the U.S. And then abroad, we're looking at 20% 20 to 25% below the normal um, five-year average in Europe. So those inventories are going to need to be backfilled um, starting now. And we've seen with this upward tick in pricing, um, we've seen a lot of hesitation in order to to uh, begin infilling. There really isn't a whole lot of um, of interest in infilling yeah. right now, given the prices. How much, Emily, of this is Hurricane Ida-related, related maybe transitory versus longer-term trends on production and demand? Yes. So Hurricane Ida has certainly uh, impacted supplies, uh, particularly in the Gulf of Mexico region. Um, but if, if you take a step back and, and look, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, we've, we've, sen- we've since seen prices increasing, regardless of the impacts of Hurricane Ida. Um, so there are some effects that are, we're seeing in the, uh, on the gas price. But it's not the only driver for why we're seeing these these increases. Um, it's more related to not only the supply crunch, but this increase in demand globally and that, that real need for, for gas from the U.S. abroad. Yeah, and, I mean, we think that we've got it bad here, Emily. The European markets are paying about three times this. Asia, they're importing a ton of liquefied natural gas as well. They're paying huge prices. Do you guys at Ristead believe that prices will continue to rise from here? I, I do. I'm old enough to remember when natural gas was double digits. But when you've been at, you know, three bucks or whatever forever, five does seem high. Where are we headed from here? Yeah, and that's, you know, a question that's on everyone's mind, right? Um, like I said, it's very dependent on the uh, winter situation that, that we should um that we should be seeing in the coming months. If we have a winter similar to last year where we saw above or sorry, below average um, temperatures again and, you know, a real um, uh, a real strong winter, then we're expecting to see a very tight market next year. And prices will likely continue to remain um, firm, not only in the U.S., but also in um, Europe as well as Asia. So, that's if we do see a strong winter um, coming up. But if it actually is a mild winter, we might start seeing some relief in the prices here and, abro- and abroad. Um, but really, you know, if we look into 2022, there are about 20 million tons of new supply from LNG that will be added into the market. So that yeah. will also add to the relief. And then, you know, really, that's going to help drive down this, you know, catalyst that we're seeing in the, in the upward uh, prices right now. Well, if it, if it stays hot for the next month or two and then gets really cold in the winter, Emily, safe to say a lot of Americans are going to have sticker shock on their air conditioning and heating bills, natural gas, very inflationary, above five bucks. Emily McLean of Rystead, we appreciate it, Emily. Thanks for coming on. Take care. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. 
All right, coming up here on WEX, what small business owners are saying about hiring, the pandemic, and the road ahead, a Worldwide Exchange exclusive report right ahead. But as we head to break, some other big headlines. Harvard University says it will stop investing in fossil fuels and instead use its $42 billion endowment to support what it calls the green economy. In a letter posted to the university's website, the endowment has no investment in companies that explore for or develop fossil fuels and, quote, does not intend to make such investments in the future, as we talk about natural gas prices soaring. Also happening now, Party City says it plans to hire about 17,000 seasonal workers for the Halloween buying season, as well as some full-time workers at its manufacturing and distribution centers in Chester, New York, and Naperville, Illinois. The company will host national hiring events on September 14th and September 18th. And Federal Reserve Regional President Robert Kaplan and Eric Rosengrensen say they will sell their individual stock holdings, all amid growing ethics concerns regarding trading last year. The Fed heads say the divestitures will be complete by the end of this month, and all proceeds from the sales will go into passive investments. The two also pledging not to trade stocks anymore while serving in their current roles. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Well, small business here in the U.S. and globally have been slowly crawling back toward a recovery as vaccination rates pick up around the world. Facebook and the Small Business Roundtable recently surveying more than 35,000 small and medium-sized businesses. The poll found that 18% of those are still closed as of July of this year. I guess some good news in that is that 28% of global small businesses reported an increase in sales compared to this time last year. Some small wins where we can find them. Joining us now for a look at where the recovery stands and what still needs to be done is John Stanford, co-executive chairman of the Small Business Roundtable. John, uh, thanks for coming on Worldwide Exchange, an important topic here How are generally American small businesses doing right now? Well, good Friday morning to you, Brian, and thanks for having me on to talk about this important data. They're frustrated. Uh, We are entering the second year, and small businesses in the United States are wondering when they're going to catch a break. As the report showed, we saw some great upticks, but I want to flag that this data came from 35,000 small businesses in July. And so that was before a large number of the impacts from the Delta variant or DTV would be felt by many of these small business owners. And so they're seeing a return to feeling like May or June of 2020. And we have to remember that the supports from the federal government are by and large gone. The employer retention tax credit is closing early. PPP has entered forgiveness. So small business owners are wondering, when are we going to return to normalcy? We've stretched what the entrepreneur can handle over the last couple of years, and they're wondering when are they going to have the opportunity to grow? And for those who engaged in digital commerce, we've seen some success. But underneath these numbers, underneath that small good news is a lot of worry, a lot of fear, and a lot of problems for women-owned and minority-owned businesses that aren't being addressed. Yeah, I think looking at the data, one of the most troubling stats that stood out to me about your survey, John, was that 60%, 60% of some of these businesses were saying they had trouble paying just basically day-to-day expenses. Yeah, we were 
both disappointed and not surprised to see that cash flow remains the number one con- concern for small businesses. And they're having trouble making just regular payments. And we have to remember that how many of these businesses got through the last year and 18 months was in partnership with these incredible programs that ran through the U.S. government. Those programs are coming to an end. In an earlier section, we were talking about the increased cost of natural gas. That's being felt by every small business owner that operates a restaurant, that operates a business. And so the costs of running these businesses are going up, and they still haven't been able to feel like they're open to consumers. And that's a real concern. Yeah, it certainly is an important study. John, very quickly before we let you go, is there somewhere we can see this? If small businesses watching WEX want to want to go and look for more data, where can they go? Absolutely. Dataforgood.org, as well as on Small Business Roundtable's website. Thanks, as always, Brian. It's great to talk to you. Uh, great. Thanks for coming on, John. Everyone go to that. Check it out. A lot of important, you know, mom and pop, Main Street folks. These are your neighbors. Support small business. All right, coming up. What the Fed is really saying about the state of the American economy and the future of its easy money policies, well, it may be different than you think. This morning's RBI will tell you why coming up. And if you have not already, a reminder, you can follow our podcast. If you miss it any day, check it out on all the major podcasting platforms. Dow Futures up nicely, nearly 200. We're back right after this. Today's RBI is going deep into the numbers, all kinds of numbers, because there is so much interesting stuff going on right now. If you just kind of, you know, take a peek under the economy's hood. So let us run through some pretty random but interesting stats that are happening right now. And the Fed is actually a great place to get some. Yeah, we'll tell you why. According to Nick Colas and Trek, the Fed mentioned supply chain disruptions 29 times in its latest beige book. That is up from 17 mentions in July and just 15 in March. Also, there were now 26 hits from the Fed on labor shortages, up from 22 in July. And get that, just four, four in March, four to 26. And this last one goes to exactly that. The job openings and labor turnover survey, JOLTS, came out yesterday and showed a Wednesday and showed a record of nearly 11 million open jobs in America. That is far more than people actually looking for work. In fact, according to Datatrek, there are now 126 job openings for every 100 unemployed workers. Now, this is actually not the first time we've had more jobs than people. In fact, that was the situation just before the pandemic hit too. But if you care about the Federal Reserve and what it eventually is going to do with bond buying and interest rates and the taper, the regional feds that are surveyed for the beige book may have just tipped their hand. The economy is trying to boom, but it's being held back by things largely out of its control. So pay attention to those numbers going forward. The Fed's words matter, random, but hopefully interesting. All right, speaking of interesting, Jill Garvey, senior wealth strategist, with Huntington Private Bank joining us now. And Jill, thank you very much for joining us. To you, we'll get into a couple of stocks in a moment. You have a macro view on the economy, the Fed, from what I just said. They sound a little, a little worried, but I guess the good news is this taper is not going to happen for a while. Good morning, Brian. It's great to see you as always. We think the taper could happen later this year. Rates may rise in the second half of 2022. But I want to emphasize our outlook, Brian. 
we favor equities. You and I have talked before that we're dip buyers or opportunistic buyers. This volatility we've seen in September has given us an opportunity to take cash that our clients have from business sales or liquidity events and put it in the market. We're investing for a post-recessionary environment. We like broad asset classes. We focus on three Bs, broad asset classes, not necessarily favoring growth or value. We want a little bit of both. We're bond light. We think given where yields are, we need our clients and where inflation mm -hmm. is, we need our clients to have higher returns. You know, we did a CNBC Pro event a few months ago. The guests love the stock. Dan Vru of Palisade Capital Management. He loves the stock, and that stock is Danaher, DHR. You love it as well. What is it about this company that has so many really smart people loving it, but maybe the market not giving it the love that it deserves? Yeah, I think if you look at the underlying industries and companies and their end users, there's a lot of opportunity for Danaher to grow. So our equity analysts really like it. Again, we're looking for volatility so we can buy in not only to Danaher, but Booking is another company that we really like, of course, with consumer discretionary. And as we're having the great reopening, even if it's slowing a little bit now, given the virus resurgent, concerns about the Fed, inflation, whether it's persistent, it's a little bit stubborn right now, we think that there's still a lot of opportunity. And again, we're very optimistic overall in the equity market. Yeah, and I, I foolishly watched most of the football game last night, which is why I look like this. But it's there was a commercial on, and I thought, where's this going? And it was for Prudential, PRU. And they're out there marketing, and they're aggressively going after clients. That is another stock that you like, but a company that obviously is out there aggressively lobbying for itself, too. Absolutely. And again, our equity analysts are looking at these stocks, looking to be opportunistic. And one thing I'd like to emphasize today, Brian, we're going to hear more information about taxes, hopefully coming on Monday. I think investors are nervous. I don't know that the market has priced in the corporate tax increases. So as we've seen such a great rise in our clients' portfolios, I think tax efficiency and taking gains is something yeah. that investors should be concerned about. We're certainly talking to our clients about that and taking gains when we may know what the rate is versus next year when the rates could be higher. Danaher, Booking, Prudential, we love Opportunity Fridays here on Worldwide Exchange. Jill, we love having you on. Thank you. All the best. Jill Garvey, Huntington Private Bank. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you all for being with us today and this week. And just a reminder, as we go to break, tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of the attacks on the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and United Flight that laid to rest in Pennsylvania. Nearly 3,000 people lost their lives. There are kids today that are alive who don't remember their mom or dad. So be sure to give your family a big hug this weekend. We're going through so much right now, too. And just a reminder, God bless everybody, especially those that ran into those towers that day, and some of whom we're not able to run out. None of us who were there or here now will ever forget them or their bravery. Have a good weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 